Hey, everybody, we're going on tour in 2017, so listen up. That's right. You can get all the deets at sysklive.com, uh, current cities who love us, Toronto, Vancouver, Atlanta. Chicago, Minneapolis. No, they don't love us so much in Chicago. Oh, yeah, they're coming around, though. And Austin doesn't love us, so we need Chicago and Austin to come out and see us so you can explain why there's no love. Yeah, and everybody else, go to sysklive.com and buy your tickets now, because they're going fast. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry. And we're about to get our hands dirty with the How Toilet Paper Works episode. Dumb. Dude, there were so many puns in this Ugh. article. I was like writhing in pain. I will say that this was a uh, a draft of a future How Stuff Works article. Yeah, gathered. So it hasn't been through the editing and a process, and I'm hoping and praying the editor will have some good the good taste to remove some of these euphemisms about poop. Yeah, because it's not necessary. No, you don't have to get hilarious about poop. It's hilarious on its own. Sure. You know? Yeah. I like this one, by the way. Yeah. It, the, toilet paper has a pretty interesting history, actually. Yeah. And there's the one thing I didn't quite realize. It's pretty American, actually, toilet paper is. Oh, like yes. If, if you go elsewhere in the world, people have different feelings about toilet paper than Americans do. And when you come back and you realize, like, wow, America really really loves its toilet paper. Yeah. And you start to look at statistics and it really kind of comes home. Like, for example. Yeah. Here's some editing that needs to happen. <laughs> this guy's got some numbers wrong. Oh, but yeah. what I found, yeah, what I found was that Americans spend something like $6 billion on toilet paper every year. Yeah, it's, it's about 24 rolls per person. Is that right? Yep, per year. Um, and we do, we do something like, we go through something like 36 and a half billion rolls of toilet paper each year in America, 36 and a half billion rolls of toilet paper every year. That is a lot of toilet paper. Yes. Um, and we're, we're not showing many signs of stopping. As a matter of fact, toilet paper is getting more expensive by the year. It's, it's rising by about 2%. In cost every year, and we're we're saying give it to us. There's lots of theories that if toilet paper somehow became a luxury item, yeah, um, Americans would just say, "Well, I have to buy this luxury item. I cannot live without toilet paper." Yeah, but it, it's because we love our toilet paper, and you don't think about it until you experience something other than toilet paper, which is usually a stream of water up your butt. Yes, and uh, we've talked about this before, but for those of you who haven't heard our various uh, statements on this, I want to officially go on record again saying that toilet paper is gross and disgusting, and the idea of wiping poop from your butt with dry paper is counterintuitive. It makes no sense, and if you don't involve water in some way to the process, then you're doing it wrong. Huh. Well, you're, just just a, you're a communist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bidetist. Yeah. So uh, do you have one at home? Well, no, I need to rehook it up. I, I bought one of the toilet ones because uh, after I said that a couple of years ago, everyone was like, dude, here you go. Sent me the link to the product, bought, oh. bought one immediately right, and hooked it up. But um, we did uh, some bathroom renovations, and it is uh, now somewhere in a bag in my house, and I just need to find it and get it going again. So you have a, a bidet floating around your house in a bag somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How's that? What what kind is it? Is it like one that's like a, a toilet lid slash bidet? Uh, it's it, it it fits under the lid. I got gotcha. you. And um, squirts uh, a jet of water to your butt. I've got one of those uh, Japanese um, toilet seats that has a bidet and a dryer and everything. In really, they're fantastic, buddy. Oh man, you're and living the not, life. I mean, it's 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 more expensive than a regular toilet seat, but they're it's not so outrageously expensive that you know. Yeah, well, you, you probably save like, some on toilet paper. I, I do a little bit. I mean, toilet paper—you still need to 
pat yourself dry. You definitely do. Although if you have a dryer, do you? Yeah, but you'd have to sit there for 15 minutes to get So what's the problem? Dry. (laughs) (laughs) I remember there was a George Carlin album where he was talking about some game show contestant and one of the, one of the game show contestants hobbies was, um, sitting on the toilet till my legs go numb. That's so funny. The little things that stand out. Yeah. From your childhood. Yeah. Like that's locked in there, but you probably don't remember something really important. <laughs> right. About your family. Like multiplication. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or, or schooling. Sure. Uh, all right. So history of toilet paper. Uh, man, like so many things, if you go back to ancient China, they were apparently future people. Because it seems like so many things um, the ancient Chinese people thought of, and then it just sort of went away for a thousand years. Well, they um, they invented paper, right? So if you're making paper and you're pooping, eventually you're going to put the two together like, oh, I'll just use this. Because at yeah. the time, or prior to this, all around the world, Basically, humans used whatever was handy, like leaves. Moss was very popular for many, yeah, let's many, go through many these, thousands actually. of years. Uh, leaves, not bad. Yeah. Moss, I would say a little messy, but softish. Oh, I'll bet moss is the bomb, especially if it's fresh. Uh, it says on here coconuts. I don't even know where to start with that. Yeah, I guess if you went with the grain, it'd be okay. But I'm sure it's not like a whole coconut. You're using like a part of a shell or something, like a shard. Yeah. Ooh, don't say shard in that area. That's. But I think a coconut shell, the outer shell would be at least like, it would probably do the job, you know? Right. It's kind of rough. Right. Uh, It says shells. Yeah, I mean. say no on that. If you live near the coast, you could use shells. And there's definitely some kind of uh, mollusks that would be better than others. Yeah. I saw somebody point out that there's such a thing as razor clams. Yeah, I know what a razor you clam is. Not want to use that. <laughs> uh snow, you're definitely on the right track with that. Corn cobs, huge, huge yeah. in America. I think that makes a lot of sense. Sure, it's got like the kind of rough bits, but it's um You can turn it and about like, perfectly shaped. Continually uh turn it and you get, you know, new coverage or whatever. Yeah, the only thing with the corn cob, using a corn cob, is that you have to, like, um, play banjo music in your head while you're using <laughs> it. It's the only way to do it. Uh, sheep's wool, not bad. No, and uh, if you were a rich-type Frenchie from the Renaissance on, you would probably use lace, perfumed I lace. I saw that, and that uh, that doesn't make any sense because lace is full of holes. But it just seems so French royalty, like sure. I'll only wipe my bottom with handmade lace. Right. And I think also if you were royalty, you weren't actually the one doing your, your own bottom. Like, for example, um, King Henry VIII, who I know wasn't French, he had a, a position called the groom of the stool. It wasn't just him. No. So I think if you were super rich, you had people wipe for you, which is now the only time you do that is if you've broken both of your arms. Well, here, here's the deal. I looked up Groom of the Stool because that immediately piqued my interest. Sure. Uh, first of all, they're not talking about a stool as in uh, poop. No, they're talking about like a stool sample. No. <laughs> it, it means like this portable commode that looked like a stool that they would carry I, around. I wonder if that's where the term for poop stool came from then. Uh, I don't know. Let's just say yes, okay? Uh, I need a win today, Chuck. (laughs) I also found that, and this was a position that all of uh, royalty held. Like he he was not the only one. They all all the kings had them, and queens and dukes and duchesses. But they were their very closest helpers, obviously. But apparently, they didn't actually like help them wipe. Um, They would help them undress for sure. They would be in charge of the commode upkeep, and apparently, they would. just kind of track their meal schedule and dietary uh, goings on, like what goes in and what comes out. But I didn't see anywhere where they actually like wiped their butts for them. I see you've passed your beans, sir. <laughs> Good is, show. It is Tuesday. <laughs> uh, most of them were knights, and uh, King George the Third, Mad King George, actually had a uh, groom of the stool. John Stewart with U A R T, who eventually huh. became Prime Minister of England. Wow! How about that? 
Man, thank you for bringing us up to date because I was grossly misled by this How Stuff Works article. Well, yeah, it sounds and like I, they would uh, wipe your butt for you. I failed to do the um, the proper outside research. So thank you for saving me and shaming me at the same time. Well, that sounds like, I don't blame you. You probably read Groom in the Stool and you're like, yep, don't need to know anything more about that. No, but I should have known better. You know, I've been doing this for years. I'm supposed to be a professional. That's okay. Uh, all right. Uh, ancient Greeks used clay and stone, and the Romans, they were on the right track. They used like a sponge on a stick, which was wet, and that they would then clean with salt water. Yeah. Well, actually, taking it back a second, the Greeks actually used polished bits of stone. Yeah. I said clay and stone. Posoi. Oh, okay. And then there was also something called, um, I think, ostroiki. Ostroiki. Um, and that was where, if you would, um, if, if the town was voting on like kicking somebody out, they would have, there'd be these like, um, bits of ceramic with the person's name engraved on it uh-huh. and they just throw it into this pot or whatever. Well, to really show your disdain for somebody, you could use one of these astroikis, um, as a, a stone for wiping yourself. Huh. You're wiping yourself with the person's name. Which that is sounds... <laughs> about as bad as it gets. But that's where the word ostracized comes from. Oh, cause it sounds like an Australian like exclamation. Ostroiki. Ostroiki. People get the point. Um, people are using whatever they can to wipe their butts. Like, it's an issue. Things get messy. Since the dawn of time, Tuk Tuk was like, you know, it doesn't feel good to walk around after a poop if I haven't cleaned myself. Right. So it was an issue. And let's... Fast forward in time to uh, 1857. This is where it's starting to get good. In New York City, uh, there was a man named Joseph Gaetti, mm-hmm. and he invented something called Gaetti's Medicated Paper Sheets. Yep. And they were, it was toilet paper, but it was not yet on a roll. They were it's more like a tissue that you would put, pull out of a box. Like Kleenex. Yeah, they were like. If you want to brand name buzz it, that's fine. For, proprietary <laughs> eponym. Uh, about 50 cents for 500 sheets, and he was so proud he had his name printed on them. Probably didn't think that through. Um, but here's the deal. He had a hard time selling it because at the time, and this is no joke, Americans used literally used the Farmer's Almanac and the Sears catalog to wipe their butts. Yeah. As a matter of fact, both of them, I think, came with a hole punched in like the top corner to make it easier to just hang from a nail in your outhouse. Amazing. So that was definitely one reason why uh, Gaiety's medicated paper didn't take off. But another part of it was that this is like a taboo thing, right? Yeah. If you got the, the Sears Roebuck catalog in the mail, it served a couple of purposes, one of which was unspoken, right? Yeah, like the mail, the mail delivery guy would just walk up and just like kind of... Hand it to the person and say, yeah, here's your catalog. Yep, thanks. Yeah. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. This, this should last you a couple of months. All right, gotcha. I, I was wondering how long it would last. I mean, like these things know. were a couple hundred pages, sure. right? Um, so I wonder how long it would last. But, yes, most, especially in rural America, that was toilet paper, that and corn cobs. Right? I wonder if there were arguments that broke out in families like, Ma, it's winter and we're already to the tool section. Yeah. Like, I'm slow sure. It down. I'm sure. There have always been miserly jerks who yelled about using too much toilet paper. Yeah. Um, so that was one reason that, that Gaiety had trouble with his medicated paper, right? Yes. Another part was that the, the taboo, right? No one wanted to talk about that. Um, and he actually sold his thing as like medicine. It was meant to be uh, for the prevention or treatment of hemorrhoids, right? Yeah, which obviously that would help. And it was it was very much what we would consider the first toilet paper, but it um, it didn't take off. It wasn't until about thirty or forty years later that Clarence and E. Irvin Scott, the Scott brothers, whose name still appears on toilet paper rolls, yep, got together and actually created the first toilet paper on a roll. Yeah, that changed everything. It really did. But the, apparently the shame, the stigma of of creating toilet paper was so much that they released their product in 1890. It wasn't until 1902 that they finally acknowledged that it was their their product. Yeah. 
They were just ashamed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they didn't have to put their name on it. I mean, <laughs> no. And apparently they used some of the companies that their company owned to, to, uh, sell uh, really? it under. Yeah. They really were like trying to, to put some distance in between them and the toilet paper they created. Yeah. I get it. Uh, they did manage to sell a lot of it though, uh, because they were smart enough to market it to like hotels and drugstores and stuff. And so they sold a lot of it, not like direct to customer. And they said, you know, your hotel needs this. Trust me. No one wants to talk about it, but just put these in your bathrooms and everyone will say great. And and again, like it was it, it worked kind of well. But then um, toilet paper, as a as we understand it today, really didn't become like a staple. What, what you would call an icon of American culture, frankly, <laughs> until like three things happened from about the beginning of the 20th century until about the 1930s. Right. Yeah. And one of the first things was that America started getting indoor plumbing, flushing yeah. toilets. That was that was the biggest deal, I think. It was because you can't use corn cobs in that any longer. Nope. So this is largely in the cities um, where where you would find indoor plumbing. Still in rural America up to the 30s, people were still using corn cobs in the Sears and Roebuck catalog. That's when the second thing that that took place that changed everything happened. The Sears catalog went to a clay-based glossy paper (laughs) and no longer was it soft and absorbent any longer. So mean. It was slick and you, you can't use that to wipe your bottom after pooping. No, that was the second thing that happened. And lastly, the third thing that happened was, um, a company called the, uh, was it the Hubert, Hubert paper company? Uh, Hoberg. Hoberg paper company released a brand of toilet paper called Charmin. Yeah. And they very, very wisely branded it in such a way that this focused on its femininity, its softness, its gentleness. And you could talk about how soft and gentle and wonderful this product was without talking about what it was actually used for, which meant that now you could market it to the public. And as a result, Charmin took off. Yeah, I mean, that that sort of became the name in toilet paper for many years, uh, in no small part, thanks to a man named Dick Wilson, who from 1964 to 85, in more than 500 TV commercials, played the beloved Mr. Whipple. Yeah. George Whipple, the grocery store manager who very famously uh, would urge, uh, usually women in the commercials, not to squeeze the Charmin, because apparently uh, from 64 to 85, women in grocery stores were compelled to squeeze toilet paper. Yeah. Constantly. Just be like, oh, it feels so nice and soft. Which apparently did something wrong to the toilet paper. Well, yeah, you didn't want your toilet paper pre-squeezed. pre-squeezed. That's what you <laughs> bought the, the toilet paper for yourself. So you could squeeze it in the comfort of your own home. So uh, ad exec John Chervokas actually came up with that uh, tagline um, or phrase. And the actor's original name was Ricardo de Guglielmo. De Guglielmo. From, from England. Yeah, that, I did not anticipate <laughs> that. I thought it was going to say Rome, Italy. Another little known fact about uh, Dick Wilson is that he is the father of Stephanie Balky's love interest in Perfect Strangers. No way. In, in real life. Yeah, that's his daughter. And another factoid <laughs> is uh, he was in Bewitched, the TV show. Yeah, he played the drunk that you'd see at the bar. Yeah. Who just couldn't believe the witchery he'd just seen. Mr. Whipple. Uh, so awesome. did you say that he was in more than 500 of those Charmin ads? Yeah. Um, there was a point where he was, there was a poll that was taken in 1978 and found that in America, he was the third most recognized person by Americans after Richard Nixon and Billy Graham. <laughs> That's so America. That is a home run for an ad, <laughs> ad agency. That's just so America. The president. A preacher and a toilet paper guy. Mr. Whipple. I love it. You want to take a break? Yeah, we'll take a break and um, kind of bring us into the modern age of butt wiping. All right, so we're at a point now where uh, Charmin has, uh, well, f- before that, 
uh, we, we were at a point where toilet paper was now being uh, championed by plumbers, by doctors, mm-hmm. as being a good thing. Charmin comes along, said, man, this stuff is soft and don't squeeze it, though. But, boy, I know you want to. Uh, Johnny Carson's joking about it on The Tonight Show. Yeah, that was that was kind of a significant thing. Yeah, he said that there was, a, and this was uh, in 1973 when there were uh, like gas shortages and energy shortages, and uh, Johnny Carson made a joke about there being a toilet paper shortage, and people thought he was serious, and apparently went out and like bought out grocery stores the next day. Yeah, and it was a self-sustaining um, thing because yeah, it made a shortage. Yeah, when people when people ran out and bought it, it created the shortage, and then the successive waves of people came and saw for themselves that there was no toilet paper, so they panicked and they bought whatever they could. And apparently, for weeks in some places, there there was you couldn't you couldn't buy toilet paper because it had been hoarded. Yeah, because of Johnny Carson's joke. Man, yeah, and he took it back, but you know, back in those days, it takes a little while for people to get that information. Sure, even on the uh, the Tonight Show. That's right. So, um. This one article you sent was great, the the history one. Which one? You sent kind of the longer one. Oh, the I think it was a mental floss article. Oh, it one? absolutely was. You're right. Yeah. So always love to use mental floss articles. Sure. Oh, and by the way, we would be remiss if we didn't mention that uh, Will and Mangesh, who started Mental Floss, are yeah. our colleagues now. Yeah, they are. They have a uh, a podcast called Part-Time Genius that's put out by our venerable umbrella brand company that's right and i made a guest appearance and i think you're probably in the queue as well uh yeah i have not been approached but i just assume i'm in the queue i think so well, let's hope so but anyway congratulations to will and mango for part-time genius and go check it out you can uh, find it anywhere you find us stuff you should know yeah uh so anyway uh they made a pretty good point here at the end of it which i never really considered but Toilet paper is actually sort of a marker of where you are as a country. Uh, like developing nations, when they start buying more toilet paper, that means they are uh, getting more sanitary as a nation. It means they have extra money to spend as a nation. Uh, that means that they're basically just sort of uh, their demographics are changing in a positive direction. Speaking from a neoliberal standpoint. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> Yeah, but it's interesting. I never thought about it. Like Brazil, they've doubled the amount of toilet paper they've sold since 2004. Yeah, which is pretty significant considering um, American toilet paper has plateaued. Like we buy as much as we we possibly can. We're, we're saturated. But, I mean, we're still spending $6 billion on it, you know? Yeah, and all over the world there are, I mean, you know, when we went to Guatemala, we certainly saw the, the bucket uh, and the water next to the toilets, there are still many places all over the world where you clean yourself with uh, whatever water you have. And you, and if you do have something to wipe yourself with, you don't even flush it down the toilet. You, you know, you have a little water hose and a bucket maybe, and kind of take care of business. Right. Or with, uh, there are some places um, where the, the plumbing just can't even handle actual toilet paper. Yeah. So you just throw that away as well. Yeah. Flushing it. You want to talk about how toilet paper is made? Yeah, I mean, we can talk about it for sure, but I, I strongly encourage everyone to go uh, to YouTube and watch a little six-minute Discovery Channel bit from, I think it was from How It's Made. Canadian How It's Made. Oh, is that what it was? The lady just stopped short of saying A. Eh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I did kind of notice that. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing, though, and I know I can obsessively watch manufacturing videos like all day and all night. Mm-hmm. But this one was especially cool looking. Chuck, did you get the same sense where like you were just watching this huge rolls of toilet paper going over the rollers <laughs> and just think like that is so delicate. Like all you have to do is lift your hand up yeah. and just completely throw production off. It no. was just, Oh, okay. I didn't feel like I wanted to do that, but I kept wondering like how in the world are these machines just rolling this toilet paper so fast without right. it breaking. Yeah. It's it's pretty impressive. It's so, really neat. So let's start at the beginning. The okay. whole thing starts with a tree. Yeah. You go, go out in your backyard, you cut down a tree, you take it to the toilet paper manufacturer and you sell it to them for a few dollars and then you leave. And since you've left, uh, it's not your tree any longer because you took money for it. And what the uh, toilet paper manufacturers are going to do with what's now their tree, they're going to grind it up 
into little chips. They're going to soak it in some water. They're going to grind it up even more. And what you have are um, called pulp. Well, you got to cook it first. You got to cook it in a, a, a what's called a digester. Yeah. And that turns it into pulp. Yeah, and if you look at this video, it's like it looks. I mean, it kind of looks like wet toilet paper. Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. And it, but it, when it's dried, it crumbles really easily yeah. too, right? Yeah. So um, that means you got a few extra steps. The next step is you got to bleach it because you're removing the color. If you've ever seen like um, that kind of grayish tan, like um, like paper towels or something that you see in like an office building or jail yeah. or something like that. Like that is what pulp looks like if you don't bleach it. Right? Yeah, which uh, I, th- I think the only reason they do that is because they found that people don't like their toilet paper to be anything other than white. No. Unless it was the it. 1970s. Yeah, man. I've got to say, I found this um, blog post from a site called History's Dumpster, and they have pictures of northern brand toilet paper. In- yeah. Light green, light oh, yeah. blue, and pink. <laughs> yeah. And it was just like, I remember I that swallowed stuff. my tongue from nostalgia. Yeah. It was very cute. Yeah. Well, and I guess we should go ahead and say the reason they don't do that anymore is because, um, those ink dyes they found could cause cancer in some cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, uh, are expensive, more expensive to use dyes. Uh, and it, yeah, it was basically a, a health thing. People are like, eh, you don't need these uh, Plus, dyes. It, it also the dyes also kept um, the toilet paper from breaking down as quickly too. Yeah, and they probably also looked and said, you know what, my poop doesn't look any better on baby blue than it does on white. No, but the the whole reason that they had those was because everybody loved to um, color coordinate. Yeah. Every room of their house in the seventies, yeah, including the bathroom. Like everything in the bathroom is pink. So people would. Uh, people would buy mauve toilet paper to go with their mauve bathroom or whatever. So great. Um, it is great. It was. That's so super 70s, too. And that's just yet another reason that the 70s were, hands down, the greatest decade in the history of humanity. <laughs> it's pretty great. All right, so, oh, uh, one other thing, Chuck. There's a company called Renova. Uh-huh. They actually sell colored toilet paper again. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like seven seven euros and 15 cents. Which isn't that much less than it would be in dollars huh. these days. Yeah. For six rolls. Okay. So we're in the factory. Where'd you leave us? Uh, so uh, we've made the pulp and we've bleached it. Now it's white. Right. Then you take the pulp and you uh, mix it with water and you've created a paper stock. That's right. And, and it- then you press it onto a screen. This one was, this blew me away. Yeah, they they press it onto a screen. I guess you you're draining a lot of the water uh, is one reason, and well, I guess that's the main reason because what you're left with is that dry, white product. Yeah, that that lady, the Canadian lady on how it's made, said that they you hit them with a dryer when they're on that screen, and it instantly dries it out. Yeah, and that's just amazing because you think of this stuff as so delicate that, but the if you watch the process, it, they're they're pretty rough with it. Yeah. Uh, so then, uh, well, concurrently what's going on too, we should say is they're also making the, uh, the, uh, cardboard rolls, which is kind of, uh, tubes, you know, which is kind of neat to watch that happen on its own. Mm-hmm. They just make this one long continuous tube that they cut into like 60 inch. It probably depends on, you know, which company, but the one they featured, I think were 60 inch tubes, which would then roll toilet paper around. So you would have basically a a, a sixty inch roll, giant roll of TP, right? Which looks really neat, and then really they, they glue it. That is definitely glue that they use to keep it, uh, you know, not tucked, but uh, affixed. Affixed. Thank you. So, so like, it doesn't unravel. Yeah, like when you when you rip that toilet paper off at the very beginning, that that's glue that's holding it together. Right, and then they have these circular saws that come through and just cut. That that big long roll into several small rolls. That was the coolest part. It was, and then um, they they can be individually wrapped or put in packs of like four or six or a million, um, and then you sell them. It's it is a very cool short video. Yeah, I, I could watch that you. stuff forever. So that's if you're making it um, from scratch. There's also recycled toilet paper, which isn't quite as popular here in the United States because 
it's a little coarser. The fibers are a little longer. So yeah. With with toilet paper, the shorter the fiber, the softer the toilet paper is going to be. Um, and then they also add some proprietary chemical combinations um, that include like extruders that kind of pull the fibers out of like a, a horizontal position and just kind of tuft them a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and then they'll put in like emboss and stuff like that too, which kind of gives it a, a quilted feel. So all of that is to make it softer and to make it, um, more grabby, grabs the poop right out of your bo- <laughs> bottom. Yeah. And those fibers is sort of a, a balance there, a delicate balance they're walking because they want it to be soft, but they also want it to be strong enough. Right. Uh, because if it's too flimsy, like the junk you get at, uh, you know, public restrooms and your office probably, uh, you know, th- that everyone, Probably has a nightmare story about their fingers busting through that stuff, right? Which is worst case scenario uh, when it's cleanup time. So they're trying to basically walk that balance of soft and strong, right? And one way they've done that is to add more um, layers. Yeah, plies. So apparently, it's up to six plies. I didn't know that. I didn't either. I can't imagine you could. You couldn't even fold that. Yeah, what does that feel like, I wonder? Uh, probably a cloud. You're just wiping your bottom with a cloud. <laughs> and that, in 1942, that started uh, St. Andrew, uh, Andrew's Paper Mill in England. Right. Invented the two-ply. Uh, and I didn't know this. This is another nice little tidbit. Um, until the 1930s, they would market toilet paper as splinter-free. Right. Like, not they would. They were forced to. Right. Because apparently that was a thing. So, um, that's kind of, that's where I was going with recycled toilet paper. It's kind of the new splinter, splintery toilet paper, which, I mean, compared to the toilet papers of your recycled toilet papers, just completely luxurious. Yeah. But compared to actual like six ply, super soft stuff that you can get, it is a little rough. Um, and again, the reason why is the fibers are a little longer and it follows the same process, but there's a step at the beginning where you take all these different papers and you put them in and mash them together in some water and you inject some air and it creates foam and the ink in the paper sticks to the foam and the foam floats. So then they just skim the foam off the top and you just remove the ink and then you start the rest of the process making a a pulp again. What a world. It is pretty amazing. All right, let's take another break and we are going to come back and wrap it up with uh, some more. Amazing facts about TP. Uh, another thing we forgot to mention before we broke was the, uh, you said that the embossed ones. Right. Like with the whatever, the, scallop shell or whatever you find. Mm-hmm. Um, they say that another reason they do that is just so they know that that's their toilet paper, just to differentiate themselves from other brands. Oh, yeah. Never really thought about that. Yeah. But Scott's like, no, that's ours. You can see the scallop shell right there. Yeah. Although I don't know if what theirs is. Uh, there was definitely scalloping in that um, How It's Made video. Scalloping? <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So can we talk about the over or under thing? Yes. So everybody's seen that Simpsons where Marge and Homer go to the spa for a day and child protective services ends up coming by and they write a report and they call the Simpsons house a squalid hellhole and point out that the (laughs) toilet paper is hung in an improper overhand fashion. Oh, um, so apparently, uh, I'm not sure who wrote that episode weighed in on that, but they're in the minority because apparently only 30% do the underhang. Yes. I'm a definite overhang person. What about you? I'm an overhanger for sure. Um, apparently, and I remember seeing this online a few years ago, it kind of went around. Uh, there was a uh, 1891, a guy named Seth Wheeler mm-hmm. uh, of Albany Perforated Wrapping Paper Company submitted a patent for the first perforated toilet paper on a roll and that showed the the over position, and everyone was like, that's it, it's settled, this was the first one, this is how it's supposed to be. Right. Which really proved nothing. 
when you think no, about I it. No, I mean, it's still preference, but there are definite pros and cons to the whole thing, right? Yeah, but here's the thing for me. It's a, a lot of the pro, of the pros they list as um like your little kid or your dog won't be tempted to go yank it if it's um in the under position. Right. Presumably because it's hidden? No, because it's so if you're a little kid or a doggy and you come up if you if it's in an overhand fashion, if it's overhanging, yeah. You can just come up and start slapping downward on the toilet paper roll and it will just come right off. But if you it's can on do an that underhang, on the underhang too. You just slap No, the back it just stay it. it just flips around and stays together. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. You have to pull downward on the toilet paper if it's going from an underhang to get it off the roll. If you slap downward on the front top of the toilet paper roll that that it's never going to come loose See, centrifugal force holds it in place I, I think i disagree on this notion i think that's presuming that you're using the old school built into the wall toilet paper dispenser no because i have the one where it sits on a freestanding stand okay and if i put my hand on the back of that thing and just give it a spin it will come unspooled i see i see what you mean yeah if you approached it that way then then all of a sudden, now you've changed your perspective. And down it's is over, up, up is down. I know it's all crazy. <laughs> yeah, I just I haven't seen that many of the. Uh, they're kind of out of fashion now. The ones that are built into the wall. Oh, are they? Yeah, you don't see those as much anymore. Do you? No, I have. I have mine coming off of the wall. It's not built into it, but it's it's. You can only yeah, the, like the you classic, can't get to it from behind. Yeah, the the classic ceramic uh, holder built onto the wall. Right, I don't have that. Although my bathroom is mauve. Is it really? No, I wish. It's man. salmon. <laughs> that I I would love to have a color a color uh coordinated bathroom. Yeah, I know you would. That would be sweet. Um yeah, I, we just have those stands where the the toilet paper is all stacked up a up a uh, post. Yeah. And then in the top it's got a little L-shaped thing and the dude hangs on there. Yeah, we just have one that like drills into the wall. Yeah, I get you. So it's not okay. But it's just the same thing. I can't get to the backside of it. Yeah, see, I can, I can get to the back of mine. So, okay, but if you are using a kind that's affixed to the wall, yeah, then that if you if you have it underhanged, you can't you can't just slap it free easily, right? right? Well, that seems like a it's kind of a minor thing to really champion as a reason. Yeah, especially if you don't have kids or mischievous dogs, right? Yeah, my dog's never done that, and sure. I have the worst dogs. Right. Okay. No, you don't. Well, one of them uh, is. <laughs> so um you've got you've got that and that's that's for the underhang for the overhang oh one of the other things about the underhang is that you can't see the unsightly end of the toilet paper roll right see, that's not unsightly to me. no i agree <laughs> and in fact there's a whole book out there um you and my sister got it for it's pretty awesome it's called a toilet paper origami and it teaches you all sorts of different ways to like fold the end of a toilet paper roll yeah like a to hotel make it, yeah yeah and you you can just wake up one day and there it's all nice and folded and you're like where am I the Ritz? And I might you think, do oh that. no, I'm at my house still. And just surprise Emily and not even tell her. I think for sure. And then fun. when she goes what and turns around, you're just holding the book in front of you with a huge smile on your face, <laughs> saying it's a new chapter in our life. Yeah, and she says, "I'm pooping. Why are you in the bathroom? <laughs> right, get out." Yes, yes, Emily, yes. Speaking of Get Out, I just saw it last night, finally. What did you think? It was great. Yeah. And I got Emily to watch it, and she was reticent. She loved it. Yeah. And that's really not her jam, either. I just don't see how you could not ultimately leave that movie feeling, like, pretty great. Yeah. Pretty happy that you saw it. (laughs) But there are some pretty scary aspects to it, too. Oh, yeah. It was like a good, straight-up horror movie. Yeah, I called called all the twists, though. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I just And she was like, oh, wow. You kind of nailed that one. Did you call the bad guy from Billy Madison being the bad guy? Billy, was he in Billy Madison? Yeah, Eric. I don't know if I saw Billy Madison. Yeah, that's all right. That's another one of those, like, what was I doing not seeing Tommy Boy and Billy Madison? Yeah. I think that was in my, like, ooh, I'm watching art films only <laughs> days. I gotcha, I gotcha. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry. Get out. Highly recommended. Yeah, agreed. Finally by me. 
So back to the overhand, underhand thing, which if you can believe it, we're still talking about. There is one thing in, <laughs> in overhang, aside from the delightful toilet paper origami you can do. Uh, I what? think, I think definitely says, um, yes, overhang. In an underhang, if you have a toilet roll holder up against the wall, you are inevitably going to brush your knuckles up against the wall of your bathroom to grab the toilet paper. <laughs> That's something you don't want to do because if you leave the lid of your toilet open when you flush, an aerosolized cyclone of <laughs> pee and poop goes all over your bathroom, including your bathroom walls. So if you cannot touch your bathroom walls when you're getting toilet paper, so much the better. Well, that's not a problem for me, but you know that people around here behind your back call you Big Knuckles. I know. <laughs> Big Hairy Knuckles. It's been your nickname for years. I know. I know. All I right. shed a tear when I hear it. I just pretend like I haven't heard. Uh, all right. So let's talk about the future. Let's wind this up with, uh, like you said, Americans apparently, um, like, you can pry this gun from my cold dead hand type of thing, <laughs> except it's toilet paper. Right. Uh, other countries. Well, it's, have, it's toilet paper too. <laughs> right. In one hand. Yeah. Uh, a lot of other countries, especially, uh, in Europe and Japan have roundly sided with the bidet. Yeah. Which I, I researched the bidet a little bit because I'm like, how do you even use a bidet? I've seen them before. And a, a true bidet is you'll have a toilet and then next to that you'll have a toilet, but it doesn't have a lid and there's like some, um, faucet knobs and everything sure. in there. And you'll turn it on and like water comes up out of the bottom. So a bidet is actually French for small horse. And mm. the reason they call it that is because you're supposed to straddle the bidet like you would be riding a horse, basically. Right. Yeah. And then you turn on the water and adjust it just how you want to the temperature you want. And then you adjust yourself so that it's getting the spots that it needs to get. Turn it off, dry off, wash your hands and you're done. Right. And the bidet actually. That bidet I just described, the porcelain fixture that goes next to the toilet, was actually Americanized. Like, the Americans came up with that version of the bidet. Oh, yeah. And it still didn't catch on in America. But Europe, where it had already been invented before, this is like the improved version of it, went nuts for this Americanized version. Yeah. And it just kind of got lost to, to time that the Americans were the ones who gave Europe the modern bidet. And we just never took it on ourselves. Well, it's definitely, if you have that style, that's definitely an extra expense because you have to have that fully plumbed and, uh, mm-hmm. you have to have the space for it, you know, like it, it's not a cheap thing if you want to get the full deal. No, it's not. But like you have and like I have, um, you can just, it basically just uses an extra hose yeah. that comes out of your already existing water supply and goes into your toilet seat. Yep. And again, the expense is not utterly outrageous to, right. to get one of these. You get a quality one, it's probably going to last a while, especially if you get a Japanese one. Right. Um, but one of the reasons why around the world bidets are so prevalent, like in Japan, 60% of restrooms have bidets. In Venezuela, I didn't know this, 90% have bidets, Whoa. actually. Um, one of the reasons why people are behind them so much is because, <laughs> I know, I heard that too, Um they use way less water than toilet paper does. Oh, like the manufacturing of toilet paper? Yeah. So get this, man. This is a Scientific American blog post I found. An average bidet use is going to take about an eighth of a gallon of water to get yourself where you want to be, right? Which is clean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to make a roll of toilet paper, one roll. It takes 37 gallons of water. What? 1.3 kilowatt hours of electricity. Oh my gosh. One and a half pounds of wood. So in America, we use 36.5 billion rolls of toilet paper every year. That requires 15 million trees. It uses 473,587,500,000 gallons of water. Wow. And requires 17.3 terawatts of electricity. Now, I don't know how much a terawatt is, but, brother, that sounds like a lot of electricity. Man, that's disheartening. I'm going to get my bidet going. It really is, and it makes it, it, it really kind of makes you think, like, oh, toilet paper is an um, environmental catastrophe, so maybe a bidet is, is preferable. Well, and the other uh, thing, if you use the wet wipes, um, regardless of their flushability on the package, they they are not great for 
the environment. Like it might not clog up your toilet right there, but uh, they don't break down like toilet paper does. Right. Um, Did you see that Consumer Reports short video on it? No. Oh, it's like 40 seconds long, and they're like, this is what toilet paper looks like when you flush. And they had just kind of like a little whirlpool going in a beaker of glass, uh, a glass beaker of water. Right. And they dropped in some toilet paper, and it immediately broke apart into 500 pieces, right? Right. They did that to a wipe, a flushable wipe, no less, and it did nothing. And they're like, well, let's try something harder. They put it into a KitchenAid mixer with water and let it sit for 10 minutes. It didn't break up at all. So wow. they don't really break up, or no one really knows how long it takes to degrade, but they certainly don't break up like that. They actually paper. grew in size and <laughs> swelled up and turned into Nicolas Cage. That's right. So the fact that this stuff uh, isn't good for your, your sewer system, and certainly if you have a septic system, uh, is probably reason enough not to always use wipes. Um, some people, apparently, uh, they say if, you know, if you have an issue and you, or maybe you have a hemorrhoid or something, then you might want to use a wipe for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, follow your, your heart. Like there's chemicals in a lot of that stuff. Yeah. There's this, we found this self article about women using wipes or, um, regular toilet paper. Yeah. Cause we're creeps and we read articles like that. <laughs> and, um, the, the, I think a, um, uh, a gynecologist was saying, or no, I think it was a dermatologist. He said that um, whenever a patient comes in and says, I've got irritation down there, I think it's, you know, probably from these wipes I'm using. Most of the time it is because they have like aloe in them that someone might be allergic to. They might have like antibacterial stuff that somebody could be allergic to. And he just prescribed using basic cheap toilet paper instead. Yeah, and um, with uh, with with kids and babies, you know, when you're doing the work, uh, doing all that work, mm-hmm. you obviously are going to use wipes. Um, but I will buzz market this brand. We use uh, water wipes, mm-hmm. and it's just water. What? It's just it's just water. That's the only ingredient. Oh, oh! In the I wipe. was like, <laughs> it's not like <laughs> you know we're anti fragrance in my house anyway, but it doesn't have fragrances or chemicals or anything like that. And then it's just, I'll buzz market them all day because it's a good product. Water wipes. <laughs> oh, one other thing. Uh, we'd be remiss in saying um, that if you are a Muslim, you use something called a Lota. And I would strongly encourage everybody to go read a great Vice article called A Muslim's Guide to Anal Hygiene that explains Lotas, which is basically like carrying your own pot of water to clean yourself off with. Or having one next to your, your toilet. Yeah. Oh, one more thing, too. You sent this to me. It is not your imagination. Toilet paper is getting smaller. Uh, it's decreased by about a half an inch, uh, narrower. Square. Yeah, four and a half inches, and now it's a half an inch narrower. And shorter. <laughs> <laughs> you were saying the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and not only that, but they're making... See, this is how they get you. Mm-hmm. They make it a little bit smaller. They increase the size of the tube. And so you're actually getting less paper, but they're still charging the same or more per year. Right. Because, and it's actually, yeah, remember we said it's going up by about 2% a year. So yeah, you're, but you're getting less paper. And so here's how they get you. They are increasing the size of the cardboard tube. They're making it narrower. So you're actually getting less toilet paper now actual paper for either the same price or mon- more money, because I think you said uh, prices were going up by about 2% each year. So these companies that make toilet paper are selling usually paper towels as well and napkins, paper napkins. Uh, and apparently those are on the decline. So they're they're kind of ripping you off by juicing you with the toilet paper rolls now. Even though they call it like a double roll, it's pretty much what used to be a single roll. So. That's my uh, toilet paper soapbox. You want to start a bloody revolution in the streets? Let that word get out. Right? Yeah. I got nothing else. Well, you, I got nothing else either, man. Toilet paper has been done. Uh, if you want to know more about toilet paper, uh, you can type those words eventually into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. You can also check it out at Mental Floss. Just go onto the internet. Go watch some Charmin commercials. Go look at pictures of. Um, of colored toilet paper from the 70s. You'll love it. Yeah. 
And since I said the 70s, it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this uh, proper pronouns. Uh, hey, guys, in your last episode on standardized patients, uh, you read a listener mail at the end. You weren't sure what pronouns to use for someone. Uh, they, them is always a good way to go when you don't know. Uh, maybe it's because I'm 22 or maybe it's because I grew up in Montessori. But I've always known they, them to be plural or singular. Uh, though I know that's not familiar for some. Uh, Josh also suggested the word cisgender for a neutral gender. And I just wanted to give a friendly correction. Uh, the word cisgender refers to someone who is not transgender and identifies with the gender they were assigned at birth. Cis being derived from the Latin prefix cis, meaning on the side of, as opposed to trans, meaning across from. So a neutral term uh, to use now is agender, the prefix a being without, uh, though that's just one of many terms being used these days. Uh, thanks for everything you bring to my days. I love how much I learn from you guys. Hope I can return the favor here. Your friendly neighborhood queer person, Chase. Hey, Chase. Thank you for that. That was awesome. Yeah, we certainly Art. try to always use the right terminology. It's uh, We drop the ball sometimes. It's hard to keep up sometimes, but we always will take those corrections and try and do it right in the future. Yes. We will never, ever refer to LGBTQIA as alphabet soup. Does people say that? Yeah, man. It's the worst. What, just like it's as just a jerk like, comment? It's just a dismissive, yeah. Oh, oh, I hate that, man. It drives me crazy. If Wait. you hear somebody saying that, set them straight. Yeah, tell them Josh. Tell them Josh and you. Chuck. <laughs> Josh and Chuck. Oh, yeah, I'll get on board. And um, Jerry, for and that Jerry. Got that right, buddy. Jerry was over here waving like, hey, hey, hey. Don't forget <laughs> me. She was stomping madly. Uh, well, if you want to get in touch with us like Chase did, you can tweet to us at Josh Um Clark or SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Charles W. Chuck Bryant or slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. <laughs>